Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Citizens, good evening. How are you guys doing? Good? Doing good? Okay, awesome. Start to take your seat, finish people, telling people about your favorite candy. Hey, I am very honestly surprised in a good way to see so many of you turn out here on Valentine's Day. Huh? What more would I rather be doing on Valentine's Day? Huh? I mean, maybe going on a date, you know, but like, this is really cool too to be at youth group. Um, if you haven't met me, my name is Will. Will Gunn, I'm a staff youth, I don't even know at this point, intern um, here at Northwest Gospel, and uh, it's great to be with you all. Um, as the sermon is entitled DTR, someone say DTR. DTR. What does DTR mean? Um, that's a great question. Well, let me tell you. Thank you for asking. DTR means this. Define the relationship. Define the relationship. Yeah, super pithy, right? It's Valentine's Day. Um, how many of you guys go to school? Nope, 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 nope. I did not ask for your input. Not that time, I'll ask soon. How many of y'all who go to school, you got a significant other in the classroom, and, and one day you're in math class and you start looking at them and you're like, okay, okay, yep. You got a little crush, okay? And so you start trying to progress things, right? You start talking to this person, you start uh, asking them information about themselves, getting their number, things along that line. And as time goes on, you start to realize, hey, what's going on here, right? And they're thinking the same thing. What's going on here, right? We've been talking. Uh, do they like me? Do they not like me? Uh, I don't really know, right? This is, a, this is a, a great instance for a DTR conversation, right? to define the relationship, okay? Um, I'm not great at these personal conversations. Um, in fact, I'm really awkward around women. And so I've devised a great strategy. Uh, this, this, in my mind, will fix all the issues. I just stop talking to them, right? That's a great solution, yes, yes. But in my younger days, um, I was scrolling through my camera roll this past weekend and I found a video, guys, of when I was a sophomore and I did a homecoming proposal for this girl. That, that was the worst thing I have ever seen. I don't know why she said yes. I wish we had a video. Um, I would have to cry and leave the stage. But my, my point in saying this, guys, is there's times in life, especially at this age that you guys are at, when you're, you're needing to define certain relationships. And so if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans tonight, 
Romans 5. What we're going to see from from Paul tonight is a a, a relationship that has been defined. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, Paul's going to tell us about a relationship uh, that doesn't need a DTR for those who are in the relationship. For some of you tonight, you do need to define your relationship. You need to define your relationship with God. Uh, But for us who have a belief in the gospel, our relationship has been defined. It's certain. So let's look at our text tonight. This is Romans 5. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Students, what Paul is unpacking for us in this chapter of Romans tonight is life-changing. So I suggest that you open your heart on this Valentine's Day to this fact tonight. Uh, Jesus Christ is our only hope. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Let's look at the text again. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul starts off saying, therefore. Uh, What he's meaning by that is, because of what I just said, right? Since we have been justified by faith is what he was talking about before. And I got to stop here first. What does this word justified mean, right? This is a big concept. What does this mean? Well, to be justified is to be declared right. Um, To be justified is to be moved from a state of sin and condemnation um, into a state of grace and love from God the Father. Uh, This is important. Like I said, those who've been justified have been moved into God's grace. So the reality is that there is a God in heaven, and one day he will judge the living and the dead. But this is great news. What Paul is saying is that Christians have been justified. We have been justified. We've been made right with God. We've been, right? Somebody say been. Come on, guys. Somebody say been. Been, okay? We've been justified. Uh, Why do I stress this fact so much? Well, the word been here in the text Um, indicates that this is a past tense, right? This is a verdict. Um, This is a choice that God has made. Um, Let's put it like this. If you are in a court case, 
And I'm hoping that none of you ever have to go to court. Um, that's generally not a great thing. But if you were in a court case, then you were charged with a bunch of crimes, right? Robbery, theft, assault, all these criminal charges, right? If someone was coming against you with all these things, you would be very anxious for the moment that the judge strikes the gavel. I was trying to get my hands on a gavel. It's like this little wooden dowel. You'd be anxious for that moment when the judge strikes the gavel and makes the decision, right? And if it's Judge Judy or some weird TV show, um, you're going to have to owe like 40 bucks an Arby's gift card and a half-eaten ham sandwich. And it's like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this court case. But, but, let's say if you had a serious charge or serious charges piled up against you, right? You're so anxious for the moment that the judge makes this decision, right? In court cases, you'll watch. Um, when the judge makes a decision, one half of the aisle is jumping up in excitement and the other half is, is doom and gloom, right? Because when the judge makes a decision in the courtroom, uh, the decision has been made, right? There is a verdict. Um, there's a choice. The trial's over. Um, in a courtroom, when a verdict is laid, it's no longer in question, right? The case is closed. And so those who have faith, those who trust in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth, that he suffered at the hands of men and was killed on a cross, and he paid for our sin, and he rose from the dead. For those who believe in that Jesus, the verdict is in. And we have been justified. We have been declared guiltless. We have been made right on account of God's grace, right? Justification isn't a process. I don't want you guys to let anybody tell you um, that standing before a holy God is a process. This isn't something that's like justification we ongoingly work towards, we, 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 we work on, right? This isn't uh, something that we do over and over again, right? Asking to be justified. Justification is a decision, God's decision. And in the gavel, the, the courtroom, the gavel comes down, right? And God declares us righteous. We're made right in his eyes. And because of this, students, we have um, a peace with God, right? For the unbeliever in the room, I just, I want to ask you if, you, if you don't know what you believe about Jesus, you don't know about this Christianity thing, um, what peace do you have? Do you have any? Maybe for a moment you have a little bit of peace, right? You get some, some menchies, you get a snack, and you're like, man, I'm at peace with this food right now. But think about death. That's really a drastic go from a snack to death, right? But um, does, does death bring you peace, right? To think about yourself as sick or old or dying, does that make you feel good? I would encourage you, if you don't know what you believe in this room, put your faith in something better, right? There is no peace. There's not one ounce of peace beyond the gospel of everlasting life with Christ Jesus as your Lord, as your master. And, and if I can just be honest with everyone in this room, um, there's a lot of legalists in this world. What do I mean by legalists? Well, I mean people who think that 
their own works, the things that they do, the chips that they can stack up, the things they can put on their resume is what makes them right before God. Right? We hear this from Catholics. We hear this from Muslims. We hear this from Mormons. We hear this from Jehovah's Witness. I could list these off all day. What they say is, hey, you do your best on earth right now. You do all these good deeds. You share your religions with others. And you hope, um, with no assurance, that one day when you stand before God, your works will measure up. Guys, um, we have no hope but Jesus Christ and him crucified. We have no hope but the grace and the mercy and the love of God who takes our sin. Um, we who have broken his law, he takes our sin and he sends his son to bear that on a cross so that we can be declared righteous and enter into relationship with him. Uh, we have no hope but a gospel of faith and belief some of you, like in this room right now, and I fall into this trap all the time. Don't think I'm above this. But, but some of us think this way, right? You go, man, if I look at pornography, I'm not worthy of God's love. If I sin, I'm no longer worthy of God. I'm not worthy of his love. If, if I slander my friends and gossip behind their back, I'm not worthy of his love. If I lie to my parents and tell them that I'm all good, if I have suicidal thoughts or commit acts to my body that hurt it, if I'm arrogant and prideful, if I manipulate people, if I have sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend, if I have this thing over here in the darkness that nobody knows about, you tell yourself, I'm no longer worthy of God or his love. Let me tell you this tonight, that the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. Listen to this, that neither height nor depth nor anything else, nor angels or rulers or anything in all creation will be able to set us apart from the love of God. That's Romans 8.39. We don't lose God's love and his justification, students. He gives his grace freely as a gift to us. And it's with that that we have hope. We can look at this life and the sins that we inevitably commit and we see grace upon grace in return. And so what do we do with this fact that we've been made right with faith, right? What does this continue to look like in our day-to-day -day lives? Well, well, Paul lays it out here. Um, he says, we stand in grace and we rejoice in hope. Um, what makes you guys happy? Shout it out real quick. What are things that make you happy? Hot dogs? Okay. Cats? Chicken bakes? I think Eddie likes Costco. Alleluia. Other things? Puppies? His Bible? Great, great. Okay, thank you. Those are some things that make us all happy, right? Um. There's like probably like a 98% chance that I've already told you guys this fact, but something that makes me happy is Legos. Playing with, Le I'm sorry, not playing with them. Um, collecting and building Legos. I don't play with them. Uh, no, I don't do that. Um, but something that makes me very happy um, is Legos. 
to the point where I've now maxed out four credit cards. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't done that. I swear I'm semi-responsible with my money. Um, but I wonder what makes Paul happy. Huh? Are we curious? Let's look. Verse 2. Look at verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, so Paul says, through him, through Jesus, we have obtained peace. And I want to say this, that there is salvation under no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father through me. And so Paul is making a very clear point that it is through Christ alone that we obtain this peace, right? Um, God gives his grace to us. And Paul says this interesting thing. Um, we, we stand in this grace. Um, we don't run towards this grace or, or do our best for it and hope that we'll receive it. Those who are in Christ stand firmly planted in this grace. Um, this is a rock-solid foundation that we stand on, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, there's two options here, and, and there's only two options. Currently, in your life, in my life, we are either standing in his grace or we are sinking in our sin. Uh, you're either living in relationship with God for life everlasting or you're headed towards eternal damnation and separation from God in hell. And, and Satan and the world are constantly pulling us away from God, right? Uh, um, Satan is constantly wanting to take us from um, marveling at God's grace and the, and the things that he's done and wants to bring us back to sin, right? Satan wants to tell you, you know, you, you were fine doing your sin thing, right? That was fun, wasn't it? There wasn't any pain or any hurt there. He wants to say, uh, try it again, right? It'll be okay. Uh, you can just keep doing what you're doing because there's always time. That's a lie, guys. Don't trust the enemy. Uh, don't have amnesia. Don't forget that sin leads to despair, to worry, to anxiety, to hopelessness. But on the other side of that, with our hope, grace leads to life, right? So we rejoice in hope, standing before now a holy God, and we have an advocate. What do I mean by that? We have someone who stands in the gap, Jesus Christ, who says, uh, declares us to be righteous, and one who gives us his grace and mercy, so, we stand in grace and we rejoice in hope. And Paul continues to tell us that our suffering no longer produces shame. Our suffering no longer produces shame. That's the second point. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has been given to us, right? 
So Paul's saying that we don't just rejoice and give thanks in our hope, but now we give thanks in our suffering. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know. I think this is a universal experience, but um, did you guys ever, like, when you're in, like, elementary or maybe even middle school where you were, like, trying to kind of roast somebody, you were trying to make a dig at them, and you said something to them, and the, this was their response. So let's just say you said, like, hey, man, your shoes suck. It's like, oh. And the kid, like, sits there, and he looks at you, and he grins, and he's like, thanks. That's the most annoying thing ever. Have you guys ever experienced that? Where you were trying to, you were trying to get at somebody, or they're like, thanks. Or they're like, I know you are, but what am I? And it's like, oh my gosh, that's the most frustrating thing of all time. Um, my point in saying that is um, it's kind of a backwards thing that they say, right? It's like, no, 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 you're not tracking with me. I'm trying to roast you. I'm not your friend. And it's like, I'm not endorsing this behavior, by the way, but it's like, why would you respond with thanksgiving uh, when I just tried to belittle you, right? How annoying is that? Um, in, in an opposite way, that that's a backwards reply to criticism, Paul lays a backwards response for us when we suffer as believers, right? Now, instead of our suffering, producing the logical conclusion of despair, of anxiety, of frustration. He says that our suffering produces hope. And to the unbeliever in the room, uh, I just want to ask this, where is your hope or purpose in suffering if there's nothing greater in this life but ourselves and the life that we live? Um, why suffer? Why endure it all? Um, this world is full of pain and hardship and suffering. And if you don't have any greater purpose, why live at all through those things, right? The reality is that suffering in this world puts those with no greater hope to shame. It cripples your body and drains your health. It kills those who you most love and ruins the relationships that you already have. It puts you to shame, right? It, it steals your money. It tosses you in the worst of circumstances, and it brings you back to where you started. Nowhere, right? I want you, if you don't believe in Jesus or, or anything greater, to hear my words and think that there must be a greater purpose in this life beyond yourself. And, and so when we who believe, when Christians suffer, when we meet temptations, when we meet trials, when we meet testing, um, things that test the genuineness of our faith, um, would we not give in to those things and, and despair like all is lost, right? Would we say no to sin but rejoice in the fact at the same time that we have the opportunity to grow? Um, look at verse 3, halfway down through verse 3. It says, Paul says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So follow the train of thought from Paul here, right? Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. What he's saying is that what our suffering used to produce was shame. But now, our suffering produces hope. And it's not always instant. 
We're, we're, we're growing in endurance, right? We're growing in character. There is a gradual growth going on here. I think in Christianity, and, and this is a struggle for believers, but I think we have too much charisma nowadays. I think we need more character. Um, I think we have um, too many charismatics, and I'm not talking about spiritual gifts. I think we have too many people who are, are, are outwardly look good, but inwardly are not. Too much character, too much charisma, not enough character, right? Uh, we have enough external religion in this thing that we call Christianity, right? You guys see it, don't you? People who, you see them at church. They post their, their Instagram Bible studies. They post their coffee shop dates. They post these things. I'm not saying people who do that are all bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I think one of the points that our text is making here tonight um, is that we need character among Christians, not just outward charisma, not just this facade that you put on to your parents, to your friends, to your Sunday school teachers. We need inward, inward character, right? We live in a world where everyone claims to be a Christian, but they're tossed to and fro. Like if you were to take a handful of grass in the gorge on a windy day, throw it up. It's never coming down. It just gets blown away in the wind, right? They get tossed over by sin when they're, in the, when they're in the quiet, when they're in the dark. And we have a lot of people who claim to do this Christianity thing, but they neither understand the gospel or live according to what they believe. External religion is very easy. We see this in the Pharisees throughout the scripture. Looking good on the outside is easy. But students, um, I have a reality for you tonight. God cares about where your heart is at. Um, he cares about where your heart is at. So um, when we suffer against sin, um, when we suffer against temptations and persecution, remember that suffering produces hope. It no longer produces shame. Even our sufferings produce hope. Look at verse five with me. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. Um, Paul says now that we have a hope from the Holy Spirit. Um, I have a question for everyone in here tonight. This is kind of a debate online. But um, yay or nay for just drinking a straight glass of milk in your kitchen? Yeah? I've seen a lot of thumbs down. Yeah? Okay, have you guys seen the video of that dude who's on a plane and the flight attendant's coming across, and he's like, two glasses of milk, please. And she's like, she leans in, she's like, what? And he's like, two glasses of milk. And she's like, okay, never mind. That's a great video, though. You guys should watch that. Um, I'm a yay on the, on the milk debate, okay? I grew up drinking that Costco gallon-sized milk. Um, and so when I was um, eating any food in my kitchen, I would grab the milk, and get a glass, and I would pour that thing right to the top. And I would take a drink, pour it again. Okay, okay, yeah, the, 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 the double pour. Anyways, 
I'm getting off track. I'm sorry. Um, think in a similar way of, of this glass being filled up, whatever it is, your favorite drink. What Paul's saying here is that God's love has filled us up to the brim. Um, God's love is fully expanded throughout our entirety as believers. And this has been done through the Holy Spirit that he's given us, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Um, John Calvin, the theologian, wrote this about this verse. He says, The revelation of divine love towards us is so abounding that it fills our hearts. And thus being spread through every part of them, it not only mitigates sorrow in adversaries, but also, like sweet seasoning, it renders tribulations to be loved by us. He's saying that this love from God is abounding. Um, it's never ending. It's overflowing. This Holy Spirit, a person of God that's been given to us and bears witness that we have God's love in our heart. He tells us, he reminds us that we have God's love and thus we have a hope in this life. God is the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. Your parents, at some point, they're gonna mess up, guys. Your best friend, they might do you wrong. Your friends, your enemies will certainly forsake you. Your coaches, your parents, guys, these people are humans. And so if we put our identity and our assurance in these people, it's going to let us down, right? Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit are the only assurance beyond salvation and the word of God that we have in this life. He will not forsake you ultimately, okay? Your soul is secure with God. Um, rest in that, guys, that our soul is secure because his, his love has been poured into our hearts, right? When you're anxious at night and you can't sleep, rest in the fact um, that God's love has been poured into our hearts and he's given us his Holy Spirit. Um, when, you, when you're feeling downtrodden and you're feeling depressed, Rest in God's love and just pray, Holy Spirit, please give me hope. Give me hope. There's something very humbling about coming before the feet of God and asking for help. So suffering produces hope, right? Suffering no longer produces shame, but produces rejoicing and growth because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who indwells us, who fills us completely. Um, I ref basketball on Saturday mornings for the Camas Washougal Youth Basketball League. Um, and uh, I get yelled at by players, by coaches, by everybody. It's really fun. You guys should look to referee when you're older. But um, there's a few things that I can count on every time I pull up to these gyms, okay? One of these things is that there will be a lot of fouls, okay? So it's eighth grade or fifth grade to eighth grade. Uh, these kids hit each other, these kids punch each other, they, they bite, they, they kick, they slap, they do all the above, right? I can count on it. I can count on the fact that I'm going to have to blow the whistle a few times. There's other things I can count on, and this is one of the main ones. One thing I hear every week from the players, no matter the circumstance, no matter the player, no matter the team, I'll hear this almost every game, 
as the referee, the one who makes the rules, keeps the game maintained, when I blow my whistle and make a call, I'll be sure to hear this three-word phrase from a player. That's not fair. That's not fair. This is to say the call you made um, enforcing the rules of the game, even though I broke the rules, I'll have players come up to me and say, that's not fair. Look at verse 6 of our passage here. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what isn't fair? That Jesus Christ, the one who is and who was perfectly righteous, died in our place as sinners, right? Paul makes this more so than clear in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, right? Paul's making the point here, I, I don't have a ton of time to explain this, that um, in human terms, um, uh, nobody even really would put their life on the line for a good person, right? Like, there's plenty of good people that if the choice was made of like somebody held at gunpoint, like, hey, you want to save yourself? Save this other person. Even if they're a good person, Paul's making the point that it's not often someone would sacrifice their life for a righteous person. Uh, now think if the person holding you guys at gunpoint said, uh, the, said hey, one of you is going to need to take the bullet. Uh, the, the person on the other side of you was a, a murderer, a thief, uh, someone who stole, who had a criminal record, who'd been in and out of jail. What if that person was the one that you were supposed to give your life up for? Not a good person, not someone who saves puppies and does good things, but someone who is, is evil. Anybody? Go, yeah, man, I, man, I want to lay down my life all day for that person. Because in my honesty, not me. I don't want to do that, right? But look at verse 6 here. While we, speaking of humanity, were still weak at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those deserving death to suffer apart from him eternally. He died to secure redemption. What do I mean by that? He died to make sure, to make certain that we would be saved, those who trust in him, that we would be in right relationship with God. If you're in this room and you're not believing and you don't have faith, maybe you're down and out about this Christianity thing. You think, man, I've done too much. I'm never gonna be good enough. There's a dude in Walmart just the other day I was walking by his shirt said, in every religion, I'm going to hell. Um, he, he slipped by. I wanted to tell him, sir, there's nothing that you could do um, that you could not be forgiven and change your ways. Um, Jesus tells a parable where he's hiring workers. God is hiring workers. And there's one who comes at 8 a.m. in the morning, and there's one who comes at 10 p.m., and there's people in between. 
At the end of the day, they all get paid the same wage. What is he trying to say? It doesn't matter when you come. Um, you can still be saved. You can have the full payment of salvation if you believe in Jesus. It's not too late. You haven't done too much. You aren't too dirty. You can still have salvation. Jesus came for you. It's not fair for God to give us his grace and mercy. We deserve nothing, but Christ gave everything. We had nothing, but Christ gave everything. Now, with this information, there's some implications for evangelism, right? For those who do believe, when we tell the message of Jesus, there are some things that we should say, right? I was at coffee with a friend the other day. Not Eddie, don't worry. Um, and my friend got out of the car, and uh, he had his fly down, okay? Kind of awkward, right? Um, I'm like, okay, I could tell him and be awkward that his fly's down, or I could let him pay the price for that, right? And so we begin walking, and I tell him, uh, I'm like, hey, man, just so you know, like, it flies down, like, super nonchalant, right? And, and he's like, okay, so he, he fixes it. And when we walk into the coffee shop, there was two girls that he knew, okay? And so in that moment, I'm thinking, man, I'm really glad I told this guy his fly was down. It didn't make him pay the price. He would have been so much further embarrassed if I did not tell him that information, right? In front of these girls that he knew. So being as Christ died for us while we were still sinners, we should also share that fact when we preach the gospel to people. Now, we don't preach a sugar-coated message when we share Jesus. We don't tell people, you know, man, Jesus loves you, and leave it at that. Now, we don't leave out the part about sin because we're afraid that we're going to make some people uncomfortable. We don't skirt around the fact that People need a savior because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We aren't to preach he gets us and replace the news of the gospel for images of people getting their feet washed and not tell anybody, hey, you need a savior. You are a sinner. You are not in right relationship with God, guys. That's the gospel. We preach Christ and him crucified. He who died and paid the price for who? Broken sinners. Preach the gospel. Not half of the gospel. Not everything but the uncomfortable stuff. Not anything but which will turn people off. Preach the entire gospel. The full counsel of God. The power of salvation. I'm done yelling, I swear. Sorry. As, as believers, find rest in this personally too, right? We've been made right. We, we have been justified. And so, Students, if you get one thing as you go into your week, take this. Um, Christ's sufferings bring us security. Christ's sufferings bring up security. We don't have to stress and worry about this life or the life to come. Um, Christ has come to save us. Those who had no hope, he came for those who are broken and lost. And his word promises that when we stand before the creator of everything, we are right in his eyes through faith alone. 
we receive his grace, right? This grace is the most secure thing that we could ask or hope or wish for. More secure than any relationship, more secure than any lockdown facility, more, than, more secure than anything we could imagine. We have the concrete set promise of hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings us security. I'm going to invite the band up as I pray now. If you'd bow your heads with me. Dear Lord Jesus, we are very thankful to come and gather. Lord, to worship you with our voices, with our instruments, God. Lord, these students and, and, and frankly, everyone in this room is living in a time with so much uncertainty. Lord, uh, what will the status of our country be? What will the status of my college be? What will I be when I grow up? What will I do if I, if I sin, if I mess up? Uh, I pray that they would rest in the truth of Romans 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts and that hope does not put us to shame and that we have a greater promise beyond ourselves in this life that we can rest knowing that we are secure in Christ Jesus, knowing that he paid the penalty for our ways, knowing that he died for us while we were sinners. Lord, you remind us beautifully so throughout your scripture that it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And so God, would we see your grace, would we be brought to a place of, of rejoicing? We see this great joy that Paul has in our passage, God, and I pray that would be with the students, that they would have a great joy because of the grace and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with these students, Lord. Secure them in your love and your hand. It's in your name we pray. Amen.